right. Thanks for uh, thanks for sharing those beautiful stories. Um, let's let's pray. Father, God, we just thank you, Lord. We rejoice, and we know heaven rejoices over the uh, the hearts that have been changed in East Asia. We thank you for the faithfulness, the obedience uh, of Marcus and Cassie and the rest of the team uh, that made the trip and walked in faith. So we thank you that they're able to. Um, to see real tangible fruit from that experience, Father. As we get into your word tonight, Lord, I'd, you know, Father, my heart is heavy as we are going to talk about just what Cassie mentioned, just the, uh, just the fall and the, you know, the brokenness of this world. And so, Lord, I just pray that our hearts would be open to receive your word, that uh, we'd be strengthened and encouraged, and, and would just take a real look um, at what your word says about the world that we live in today. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, so before we, we jump in, I just want to, I want to get you, your brain kind of thinking around a couple of questions. So I got these on the screen. You can just, we're not discussing these, you know, with anyone in the group, just to think. So why do bad things happen in the world? Like, why is there heartache and pain and suffering in the world? In what areas do you question or maybe you just flat out disagree with the Word of God? And then how do you try to fix your sin? Like when you sin, what do you do afterward to try to fix whatever you've done? Okay, so three questions to, uh, to consider. And we're going to you know, talk about just kind of what's been going on in the world around us. This is our summer series. It's called My Favorite Summer because uh, we're looking at favorite Bible passages of mine and some other guys who will be sharing over the next few weeks. So uh, Carla Edwards actually designed that um, graphic for us. Carl, I, so I've been meaning to ask you, like, did you just do this on the computer, or did you, like, do something with your hand first and grab a shot of it somehow? Or, like, what, how did you do this? Awesome. And Carla is, like, and Jason and so many of you others, but, like, this is just a living example of, of our vision, right? Like, God has created us so uniquely to do special things to bring him glory. And something just, like, I would never be able to come up with something. If, it's, if I can't, like, do an image search on Bing and find it, I can't do it, you know, and Carla will probably whip that up, you know, in no time. So thank you so much, Carla. So if you just think about some of the stuff going on in the world around us, um, like it doesn't take long to realize, like we just live in a totally jacked up world. You know, I mean, North Korea, they've been testing nuclear weapons for how long now? And, you know, they, they're claiming they can launch something over here at the U.S. Earlier this week, New York City police officer sitting in her car doing some paperwork and some guy just for no reason just comes up and shoots through the window and kills her. Leaves three kids without a mom. A week before that, happening here in San Antonio, police officer shot on campus. Um, you just look, you know, within our country, like people are just divided over race, politics, geography, like it doesn't matter what the issue is. We're just divided like I've never seen in my lifetime before. My brother and his family just arrived in London, took an overnight flight, and like I have to worry about their safety. You know, and terrorist attacks are so commonplace nowadays, like the day after it's not even news anymore. An infant's coffin was found in the streets of Philadelphia with a bag of organs in it. That's the world we live in, church. 
So what text are we in tonight? Anyone want to take a guess? Genesis 3. There is a passage that explains how we got into such a messed up world. Just a totally sin-soaked world. So if you have your Bibles or your phones, however you want to read and follow along if you want to, that'd be great. We're in Genesis chapter 3. This is one of my favorite passages in all the scripture for a few reasons. Like I just said, it explains, and I'm not exaggerating, it explains why the world is the way it is. Every single thing that is wrong in this world, that is wrong in your life, can be explained in this passage right here. So that's one. Number two is because it, like you, you go back to this, and at least for me, and I think I probably represent most of humanity, or at least most believers when I say this, like this explains why I view temptation and sin the way that I do. And then the, the third reason why I love it is because in the end, I cannot be the hero of my own life story. So we'll talk about some other things along the way. Those are the three things I want us to, to kind of talk about tonight, why this is one of my favorite passages. So we'll read the first eight verses to start with. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden... God has said you shall not eat from it or touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, You surely shall not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. That passage right there, just that, like we just got the explanation for why the world is the way that it is. The serpent came along. He's not writhing. He may be, you know, kind of standing upright because writhing is part of the curse that will come later. But this first, this is the first time sin enters the world. The serpent tricks Eve, who then gives to her husband. And for the first time, sin, darkness, evil, bad thoughts, disease, everything that is bad starts from that point forward God's creation is suddenly no longer the way he designed it to be this explains why this world is such a mess it explains why ISIS exists today it explains why every 98 seconds in America someone is sexually assaulted it explains why my daughter suffers from anxiety it explains why there are over 10,000 kids in Texas alone who need to be in a foster home. We need to be placed in a foster home. It explains why Kawhi Leonard rolled his ankle severely in game one with a huge lead, and we have paper champions from California. Amen. Thank you. 
And if you will listen to stories that Kevin will share from his trip to New York City, you will hear just how mean people can be to one another, even complete strangers. And not that that's isolated to New York, because it certainly is not. This passage even explains why at my age I have to hold stuff like this to read it now. Which is kind of strange, like the further away it is, the easier it is for me to read. That's just backwards. <laughs> and speaking of backwards, it also explains how I'm playing Nerf guns with Daniel, our 12-year-old son today. And before I tell you what I did and how I hurt myself, I have to tell you, like he has this, like it's a shotgun. Like it doesn't shoot these little tiny like Nerf, like it shoots, they're like this big. And they, they whistle, like psh, and so you... Like, it's coming so that you can't get out of the way. And it's kind of scary, even though I know, like, okay, the pain will go away. But they're like, the noise, you know? And so I'm in Gabby's room, which I have to ask her forgiveness because she asked us not to play in her room. But I'm in Gabby's room, and I'm trying to reach out and get one of my bullets. And I look through the hallway, and there's Daniel with his shotgun pointed right at me. And I know I'm in deep trouble. So I, like, I back up so he can't, you know, so I'm out of his line of sight. And Gabby used to have this little bench at the edge of her bed at the footboard. Well, I didn't remember that we had moved it, and so it's not there anymore. So I'm backpedaling, and I go to sit down with all of my weight, trusting that there is a bench there, and it is not. (laughs) It's not there. And her mattress, like, actually is, like, down in the bed, so it's, like, even with the bed railing and frame. So I, full weight, full force, slam onto her wooden bed frame. Like... And it hit me way up here, but it hurt in my head, like my jaw was rattled. And even now, my spine just feels like it's completely, totally, like just twisted in knots. I fell because we live in a fallen world. This text explains all of that and more. We live just in a sick, broken world. So if we ever wonder why things are the way they are, we don't have to wonder. It's right there in Genesis 3. If you think I'm exaggerating, I am not. Think about life before Genesis 3. Genesis 2. Man and woman walk in the garden with God Man and woman are completely naked, and they don't even know it. They have perfect fellowship with God and with one another. There's no guilt. There's no shame. There's just freedom. There's innocence. Like, the world is perfect. Nothing, not even Adam and Eve, are going to die in Genesis 2. They will live forever and walk with God. As long as they just don't eat from that one tree. Here's what's so amazing to me about Genesis. Like I still am trying to understand. It's like they didn't even know they were naked because they had never worn clothes before. Like do you ever think about that? They, They just like they're just walking around naked. And they're not even like looking at each other in any demeaning way or sinful selfish way. Perfect environment, perfect fellowship. It's just perfection. And then 
Genesis 3 happens. So now we know why our world is messed up. We know why every human institution, political, legislative, judicial, education, welfare, any system, is flawed. In fact, if you think of those systems, personal opinion here, I think they're all, the way they've all been flawed, whether it's intentional or not, I'm going to hope that it's not. I think they actually oppress the poor and the minority, which is just the opposite of what what they're set up to do. This passage explains why we have lost loved ones, elders and even the unborn. It explains why when Gabby and I are coming to church early tonight, we have two of our foster kids in the back. We're coming up 410, and, and they're local, but they're not from San Antonio. They're from a surrounding suburb. Well, one of them goes, like, totally surprised me in the back. Saying, hey, we used to live there. Because I know they didn't live in San Antonio. And, we're, and plus, we're right down the street on 410. I'm looking for, like, is there an apartment building? Like, what are they talking about? And I said, you used to live where? The Red Roof Inn. In that moment, like, my heart just hurts. But I don't want to show it, you know? So I'm like, oh, you like staying in the hotels? Me too, you know? It explains why we got a call the other day from one of our former foster kids who says, my family doesn't want me anymore. Would you adopt me? This text explains... Why, when I was a little boy, my parents would go out drinking every night. They would choose to go out and drink instead of come home and spend time with me, which made me question, am I likable? What's wrong with me that my parents don't want to spend time with me? This text explains why we took a family vacation and I ended up looking like this. That's not pink eye. That was something else. Like five days of pink eye medication, and the only thing that changed was both my eyes started looking like that. Genesis 3 brought total chaos into the world. And here, I need you to know this, church. Genesis 3 is not a, this is not some figurative story meant to illustrate some greater truth. This is a real event that happened in history. Without Genesis 3, quite honestly, nothing else after that makes any sense at all. Nothing. Why would... Genesis 3 is the beginning of the just... heartache, murder, rape. You just... You name it and it starts all right there. In fact, Genesis 4, the first murder. By Genesis 6, God is so tired of man's wickedness, he's going to bring a flood to wipe out everyone. You take Genesis 3 out and, and, and the story is just incomplete, lacking a huge, critical, pivotal moment in history that explains the rest of the story. So Genesis 3 is one of my favorites because it absolutely explains the brokenness of the world, but also because it explains my own brokenness. It explains my view of temptation and of sin. Did you get what, what the serpent 
got them to do? He got them to question the word of God. Indeed, has God said you shall not eat from that tree? There's a temptation. Anytime we face temptation, what we're really questioning is, do you believe the word of God? Is that really what God said? That's why I had the question up there. What are you questioning God's word? What do you disagree with? Because when we see what we're saying is, God, I, 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 like, I hear you, I read that, but I'm not going to believe it. I'm going to choose this route instead. And if you do question anything in God's word, my question to you would be, why do you question it? And here's the answer. You can accept it or not. It's, it's true of you and of me when we reject the truth of God's word. Because it's inconvenient to accept it as truth. Because society might say, oh, I mean, you don't believe that, do you? Really, like same-sex marriage, you think that's wrong? What are you, a bigot? Homophobe? So if it's inconvenient to believe it, then, then maybe we won't believe it after all. Which, of course, leads us down the road. Well, then we'll, who are you to pick and choose what's right, what's true? Maybe, maybe it's just because you think, you know what, the Word of God is ancient, it's old-fashioned, doesn't apply anymore, I'm going to have sex with my girlfriend before marriage. That's just, that's ancient literature, that's all it is. Yeah, that's inconvenient for you to believe the truth of God's Word. That was my attitude when I was single, claiming to be a Christian, walking with God. You know, yeah, I believe all that except the part about not having sex before marriage. Maybe you just think, well, you know what? It was written by man, so how accurate could it be? Temptation comes because we want to question the word of God. And did you notice throughout this interaction, never did Adam or Eve go, Hey, God, when you said don't eat from that tree, what did you mean exactly? Right? They didn't, they didn't go, hey, serpent, hold on. I just want to clarify with God what he meant when he told us not to eat. Wouldn't that sound silly for them to go, God, when you said don't eat from it, what do you mean? Of course it does. Just like when we're tempted to violate the word of God, we don't go, hey, God, when you said... Don't fornicate. What does that mean? Exactly. Are you speaking figuratively? Right? Because we know the truth of God's word. It's just inconvenient sometimes to live it out. And then the response. Like this passage so beautifully explains my response to sin. We're going to start back in at verse 7. I know we just read 7 and 8. We're going to read 7 and 8 again and continue through 13. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of thee in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me from the tree, and I ate. 
Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you've done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So I, it, did you, I'm sure you did, right? Because I saw some smiles. Like, did you catch what was going on here? The first thing they tried to do, which we all, quite honestly, try to do when we sin, is we try to fix it ourselves. Eve, you know what? I know we messed up. Let's go get some leaves. We'll cover up real quick. Then we don't have to look at each other anymore. We, we'll keep it at eye level. Don't we do the same thing? You know what, Lord, I know I did. You know what? I'm going to give extra money when I go to Alamo Stone this Saturday night. I'm going to make it right with you, God. God, if you forgive me, you know what? I will never uh, look at my computer again. Like, we set up these things, and I'm not saying setting up, you know, things to, to protect ourselves from temptation are bad. It's not. Like, some of, some of the things we might do are, are wise. But we try, to, we try to fix what we've broken. So we think works might even just fix it. I'll go take a meal over to the Flins. They got four kids over there and they could probably use some help. Then God, will you forgive me? We try to fix our own sin. And we try to hide from God. They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. And then Adam even says, I hid myself when I heard you were coming. Man, when we sin, look, you can close the blinds, turn off the lights, you can go undercover, you can do whatever, but you can't hide from God. Nor can I. But it's not even just when we sin, but it's even afterwards, like, oh, man. We talked about this when we, when we read the parable of the prodigal son, right? Our, our, our faulty thinking is God does not want to see me right now. The truth is, He's waiting anxiously with open arms to draw us back in. So we try to fix it. We try to hide from God. And then we sure do try to blame others. Adam blames it on Eve and on God. The woman that you gave me caused me to eat. Eve blames it on the serpent. Not my fault. He tricked me. And, and church, like, we do the same thing. How many times does, does a spouse cheat on the other one, whether it's physical or emotional, and when asked why, or when explaining why, the, the blame lies with the, the other spouse? Well, if she were meeting my needs in the bedroom, I wouldn't be out, whatever. If he were emotionally connected to me, I wouldn't have contacted my old friend from high school on Facebook. You know, if, my, if our finances were better, we wouldn't be living together. But we've got to live together to make this work. See, we can be creative in how we blame others instead of ourselves or other people and other things. Because here's the deal. I'm a new creation in Christ, absolutely. But you know what? I'm a descendant of Adam and Eve. And you look at that first sin, and that sin nature lives inside of me, and it lives inside of you. And so when we sin, we look back at that first sin and go, man, I can relate, because that's like looking in the mirror whenever I mess up. So I love this text. It explains the, the brokenness of the world we live in. It explains certainly... I speak for me. My view of temptation and sin, which is wrong, right? It's wrong. I'm not saying this is how you should do it. 
Not at all. And that's why I, you and I cannot be the heroes of our own story because we're broken. We're absolutely broken. We're messed up. But the beauty in the story is that we can't be the hero, but it shows us who is the hero of our story. And that is God. Look over at verse 21. And the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. You see, God takes something that's better than what they tried to come up with to fix their sin problem. He took skin from an animal and made clothes for them. Which, if you miss it, points us to Jesus Christ. Because it is his sacrifice. So God sacrifices an animal to clothe Adam and Eve, literally. And it's a, you know, it's a foreshadow, foreshadows Jesus being sacrificed so we can be clothed in his righteousness so that we can then stand again before God without having to hide in our sin and our shame. And also this whole text, right? Jesus goes out to the wilderness to be tempted by Satan who tries to use the word of God to derail him. But Jesus is strong enough to resist the temptation. And then finally, there will be a day when order is restored and things are the way God designed them to be. When the Lord returns, he will bring everything back into its proper place. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. All the heartache, all the pain, all the suffering will be done away with. So I love this passage, and I hope you do as well. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for this time tonight in your word. God, we live in a broken, fallen world, and we're broken, fallen beings. But by your grace and your mercy, our sins can be forgiven. We can take on the clothing of righteousness from your son, Jesus Christ, as our own. And Lord, let us not forget that you have called us to be a light, to minister to this hurting world and to, to share the truth of your love. So let us do that as we go out this week. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.